0: This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, pandemic and political uncertainty from Wall Street to Washington. I
2: don't know where the reality check needs to be. Uh, It certainly seems like the market needs one.
0: Wharton professor Jeremy Siegel on the market whiplash in 2020's first half.
3: There's two great uncertainties. First of all, whether this latest wave is going to subside. And then, you know, let's face it, Joe, political uncertainty is definitely there for November.
0: The real estate mogul who's stands by his bullish perspective, Barry Sternlicht calling for business to resume.
4: I mean, I think we should be smart about it, but I think we should get back to work. There's only one state in the country that's 40% of its crisis level, and that's Arizona.
0: Those stories plus Uber's in gear for an acquisition and Lululemon's suited up for an at-home workout. It's Tuesday, June 30th, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right now.
2: And there was a line at the food truck outside the studio this morning.
5: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. And Joe, when you say a line, you mean more than two people at the there food are, truck outside?
2: There were six people, and it never. when the show starts, they're gone. And I think they have to be at work at six, maybe. Would that make sense? Maybe, And they're getting yeah. something before they yeah, go in, coffee or at work? But maybe. It's been a long yeah, time. Yeah, I was just
5: upstairs getting mine.
2: Everybody had a mask on, but, uh, the, but there was uh, about six or seven people, right, Max? Six or seven people right out there waiting for... Uh, Looks Were like, you one of them? I was <laughs> I was not one mm-hmm. of them. I was not one of them, although I do have a couple of uh, bananas here that, that Mac, uh, Mac gets me every morning. Yeah, let's go.
0: First up today on the podcast, June 30th is the last day of the second quarter of 2020, and it's been a wild one. The coronavirus pandemic and economic shutdown triggered a 38% sell-off on the Dow. Now, halfway through 2020 the dow has bounced back about 38%.
2: Becky, what do we have to add? Yeah, but we, but we could either be up or down. It depends on which average obviously. Too uh, for June the quarter well, I, is going to be actually, big.
5: The- it's the last day of the quarter, it's the last day of the month, and we told you yesterday that both the Dow and the S P p 500 had some ground to make up. The Dow had to gain 1.5 percent to get in positive territory for the month. Um, it did that, plus more. It was up by 2.3 percent yesterday, with a gain of 580 points. Uh, the S&P was up yesterday by 1.5 percent. It had a gain of 44 points. So both of those averages now meeting up with the Nasdaq, being on track for a third straight month of gains. And by the way, if you look at the quarter, you put this together for the last three months, this has been an incredibly impressive quarter. We are looking at the best gains you've seen for both the Dow and the S&P 500 since all the way back to the fourth quarter of 1998. And for the Nasdaq, it's on its best track for gains since 2001. So we have seen three months in a row that have been incredibly impressive. Andrew. Hey,
1: thanks, Becky. Let's uh, talk about why maybe those gains are, are happening in some regard. Fed Chair Jay Powell and Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin, they're going to be testifying uh, before this morning before the House Financial Services Committee and prepared remarks, Powell saying... The economy has entered an important new stage sooner than expected. But he says, quote, the path forward for the economy is extraordinarily uncertain and will depend in large part on our successes in containing the virus. He said a full recovery is unlikely until people are confident that it's safe to reengage in a broad range of activities. But um, at least in some parts of the countries, it feels like uh, people are engaging in those activities. In other parts of the countries where they were engaging, we'll see. Maybe they'll be engaging less. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It, it was after the weekend. And we were all part of that weekend. Right. And the news flow was not positive. Yeah. So it's always confounding. You know, you scratch your head at, at, at whatever. But, you know, we we actually talked about that right at the top of the show uh, yesterday that I don't know where the reality check needs to be. Uh, it certainly seems like the market needs one. But maybe there's times when, you know, we're just, you know, breathlessly reporting the you know some of the some of the news anyway here to talk about what we should be watching in the second half of the year is jeremy siegel professor of finance uh at the wharton school and uh it's good to see you professor and and you were on was it three weeks ago was it a month ago because you were and we haven't gained a lot since then but but you weren't at that time saying that the market was way out over its skis and disconnected with reality you thought that, no. that it was kind of uh, moving in, in, in a way that you could justify. You still believe
3: that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I point out the fact that the 31 percent increase in the money supply is the greatest we've ever seen since w- World War II, far in excess of what we had during the financial crisis of 2008, 2009. And this liquidity is just waiting to burst on to the economy, if, you know, we can get people's confidence back, Uh, you know, we can see this latest wave in Texas and Florida, if we see that, you know, crest go down, uh, the therapeutics. In terms of confidence, uh, uh, you know, we had Robert uh, Redfield, who's director of the CDC, say last Friday, you know, there's probably 10 times as many people have been exposed to the virus as the official statistics but that's 27 million that means the death rate is less than one half of one percent now that is far lower than what we had feared in march and april and and most of those deaths were before we knew how to treat these patients it's probably realistically about one half of that now um uh, these, these are important figures to try to instill confidence.
2: What if there are more than just bumps in the road on, on reopening? Would there be a day of reckoning? And, and phrasing it another way, do you think that the, the easiest gains in the stock market have already been made and it's going to be tougher to advance from here if we don't see real, uh, real progress in the underlying economy? The Fed can't help us forever.
3: Well, I mean, there's there's two great uncertainties. First of all, whether this latest wave is going to subside. Um, uh, I think it will, but we're going to we're going to have to see with the death rates continuing to be very moderate or go down. And then, you know, let, let's let's face it, Joe, political uncertainty is is definitely there for November. And I am more talking about the Senate than the presidency at this particular point in my particular. In my opinion, I think the market would welcome a Republican-maintained Senate, even if there is a Biden presidency. I think that would be uh, favorable for the market. The tax cut, uh, that corporate tax cuts, are are a major reason for uh, a lot of the bull market since Trump was elected. If they're going to be reversed, that's a a strong headwind. Now, in my opinion— the liquidity that's been thrown at this economy is probably going to be enough to offset that headwind. And, you know, if, if, if it's a Democratic sweep, there's probably going to be more liquidity thrown at the economy. So I'm not bearish on stocks by any means. But clearly, this is an uncertainty that that faces the market. Thank okay? you.
1: Thank you. Uber now reportedly in talks to buy Postmates. The price tag, two point six billion dollars is coming just weeks after you might remember Uh, a failed effort to acquire food delivery rival Grubhub. The tie-up would speed up consolidation in the loss-making food delivery sector. We've talked about how they don't make money yet, and that has seen a spike in demand, of course, during this pandemic. Uh, Big question uh, about this transaction. If you remember, at the time that Uber walked away from Grubhub, the argument was that they were worried they were going to face antitrust uh, regulators. The question in this case is, somehow buying Postmates, which does have a smaller market share, would that somehow be allowed? It's always dangerous when you start to publicly talk about antitrust issues when you still want to buy somebody in the same uh, industry. So we will see uh, where that transaction goes. But it does seem like it's uh, getting farther along. The last transaction, of course, those negotiations were far along too and then broke down. So we'll see.
5: Andrew, I was just going to ask you, you know, the the Uber question. Since we had uh, Dara on the show and he talked a little bit about how it, it hasn't been profitable, even during this pandemic, when you would imagine more people are willing to pay money to have things delivered to their house than ever before. It, it, it just gets back to that issue. And I saw a tweet. This was somebody who was clearly irritated because they'd gotten their food late or cold or something. He said, I, I don't think Uber Eats will ever make money, because why would I you know, pay somebody a premium to have my food sit 15 to 20 minutes at the place, then come and have a, a, a messed up order delivery? And it, Obviously, that's a frustrated customer at that point. But it does get back to that real question of can this ever be profitable will consumers ever be willing to pay enough to actually make this a profitable enterprise for any of these companies that are doing this and it also again comes back to that question of what happens with the restaurants right now restaurants are under so much pressure and that definitely takes a cut of what um they would be getting is when they have to share with uber too and i i think that's a bigger question than ever before
1: I think there's a real question about whether it's ever a profitable business. Um, But I think if you look at, look, if you look at the Uber Lyft example and you look at just in straight markets where on the driving side, um, it does seem to, it it can be a good business. I think part of it is there are in the food business in particular, now it's great for customers, terrible, terrible for the businesses. There really is too much competition. There are too many back-end systems that need to be supported. There are too many marketing budgets that need to be supported. There are too many support systems for the restaurants that need to be supported. And so if you could consolidate that, arguably you could turn a profit. The question is whether Postmates actually is even big enough relative. I mean, Grubhub actually was a much bigger player. And so you you could have seen Mm -hmm. how that could have worked. Again, does that mean that the price has to go up ultimately in terms of what we all pay? Maybe. Uh, I think their hope is that if you could take out so many of those back end costs, which there are a lot of, uh, especially given all of the discounting that's going on as well, that maybe that would change the dynamic. I mean, it's kind so of annoying we'll for normal people.
2: Um, uh, it comes up the works. Like when I go, I, I, I'm getting some French fries. That's all I'm getting uh, at Wendy's. And there's a, I can see on the board who these people are. And it's got little, you know, they got their like their moniker, whatever it is. You can tell that they're are guys delivering it. Yeah. And I watch them go out with shopping bags full of chili and sandwiches and this and that and this and that. So I'm just like waiting, waiting, <laughs> waiting, waiting, <laughs> watching these things get filled So it comes up the works. So I'm not a fan, Sorkin. I'm willing to go myself. I don't need someone bringing it. No wonder it's cold. They're they I think they're getting how many orders at a time to deliver to people, yeah. as well, right? So by then yeah. it. It's like the pizza guy. When I think you're like, they're
1: doing about three orders an hour <laughs> on average. Three orders an not, hour, which not, is not, not a not lot. If you have to think about the, not two at
2: the same the time. Not two at the same time. The economics
1: but, of it. So it could, that maybe that's no, why it gets cold. No, I'm saying they they probably are because they're trying to they're trying to hit they're trying to hit three plus orders an hour on terms of delivery, which in a city, in a densified mm-hmm. city, works. Obviously, if you get into the suburbs or, or even farther out into the country, it becomes harder and much more complicated. To get three deliveries out just because of the distances that you yeah, have to drive—that yeah, yeah. problematic. Yeah. You know a lot about this. I mean, you're not
2: moonlighting, um, are you? I mean, you don't uh, just su- <laughs> I,
1: just reporting, not, moon, not, not moonlighting, income, not moonlighting. Okay, not, not yet, not yet. I might, I might need to at some point, but I not yet. Not like yet. six jobs um, already. There are a lot of. By the way, I'll tell you though. Interestingly, and we've talked about this a little bit. Given the pandemic, the amount of people who are applying to quote unquote moonlight. And frankly, even the types of jobs that some of those people used to have, or even have currently, or are on furlough—I mean, it's it's a remarkable situation in terms of all of the people who actually do need these jobs. So uh, these jobs actually, at r- right now in this moment, uh, my hats off to these people because these people, at some level, are—they're uh, not in the health industry, but there's a frontline element to what they've been doing this entire time to keep sure. us uh, to keep us yeah. all fed and healthy. I do want to talk about Lululemon because it's another big transaction. I know, Joe. I'm wearing my my ABC pants today. You would I in honor would. of this transaction.
2: Yep. You have not. But you, uh, you, now we're gonna have to get you. You you have not. Have you broken from your recent string of every time I ask you, you're wearing them. I mean, I, I'm thinking maybe you're like me now. I but- I
1: I have a. No, you know, so occasionally I have, well, you know me, I wear those Ralph Lauren suits. I have these Ralph Lauren pants that I wear sometimes, and occasionally I wear AG jeans. Those are my, my those the are rotation good. at those the moment. Those are good. But uh, I mean, that's too much I information. Would, at, at Let me tell I you. Might, yeah, you're right. Okay.
2: They go, go ahead. Well, ABC pants <laughs> is too much information right, from, right there. Let's just put, get that out there right from the very beginning because it yep. doesn't stand for the alphabet. Anyway, go ahead.
1: Oh, I'll give you another one, Joe. (laughs) Just before I go, because no, hold on. This one you should know about. Do you know Roan? Roan R H O N E. They make amazing pants, very much like this, and I think you'll like the way you look, as they say at Men's Warehouse. Uh, Meantime, let me tell you about Lululemon, though, because they do have a big transaction, Uh, their first ever uh, acquisition. It was announced yesterday. They're buying in-home fitness company. Joe, we got to get you one to sit next to your uh, Peloton. It's called the Mirror. Uh, the price tag for the deal was $500 million. Mirror will run as a standalone company within Lululemon Ooh. and its current CEO will continue to run the business. Reporting to Lulu's CEO, Mirror offers live classes through a wall-mounted mirror device in addition to on-demand workouts and one-on-one personal training sessions. It retails for about $1,500 and subscribers pay $39 per month to stream the classes. It's seen as a competitor to some degree uh, to Peloton uh, which fell on that news. Big question, of course, is whether being in the apparel business and effectively being in the content production business um, are the same and, and whether you can really marry the two, whether you can sell more merchandise uh, through the mirror, whether you can sell more mirrors through the retail uh, side of it. Big question. Effectively, it's a, I don't know if you guys have seen it. Uh-huh. It's a mirror. You mean- with a, it's, it's a two-way mirror with a with a television, effectively, a flat right. screen you, but- behind it and a lot of programming. Andrew. You yeah. have to watch the pro- – yeah? Yeah. You might see a little too much of yourself.
2: I mean, I got, I'd see a lot it's of jiggling the, and moving and I don't need, mirror, that I don't though. need to see. Huh?
5: What? It's not through the mirror. It's through the looking glass, right? Yeah.
2: Through the, did Taking you guys, you, uh, you know, the home fitness, did you guys see what happened at that planet? Fit? That skewed me out totally down in, uh, down, I think happened. it was West Virginia. I don't know, 60 people are quarantined because they went to the, the gym. Uh, they're all inside, breathing on yes, each I other. Yes, I did see this. I did sweating see this. On each other. Now, sixty of them are quarantined. I don't know how many got it, but it's like, I don't want to go back there and, and be right you don't next want to, be to someone edge. grunting and groaning in place. And huh?
5: Did you see? Did you, you see? Never, the I mean, never. Story that said we basically, we we know what 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 this pandemic is most likely caused by it's not necessarily surface contact, but it is being in close proximity to people who are infected and 15 minutes or longer. That's that's what they're they're talking about for the most part. So you think gyms, you think nail salons, you think hair salons, you think all the places we're trying to reopen right now.
0: Next on Squawk Pod, the real estate magnate who's been bullish from the beginning. Why Barry Sternlicht is calling for states to reopen and business to resume.
4: There's 17 million people employed in leisure and hospitality. You know where the unemployment rate will drop. It's when the airlines will fly and people will go to the things they did before.
0: What's on the horizon for financial markets? Welcome back to Squawk Pod from CNBC. Real estate magnate Barry Sternlicht built Starwood Hotels and Resorts, the umbrella for brands like St. Regis, Westin, W Hotels, and many more, from a small real estate investment trust into a multi-billion dollar brands that eventually merged with Marriott. In addition to his hotelier experience, Sternlicht is an investor. His Starwood Capital Group has over $60 billion in assets under management. He's also chairman of the largest commercial mortgage real estate investment trust in the U.S., which is publicly traded on the New York Stock Exchange. He's on the board of Estee Lauder and he's CEO and chairman of One Hotels, the sustainable and luxurious brand with locations around the U.S. But right now, most of his hospitality business has ground to a halt. Sternlicht has joined Squawk Box four times over the last four months throughout the course of the pandemic. And he's been pretty bullish every time. Back in March, he likened the coronavirus pandemic to wartime, but still kept an optimistic tone.
4: It will be finished here, whether it's 30 days or 60 days or 90 days, this is gonna be really bad, really fast.
0: Sternlicht has seen his companies through the dot-com boom and bust and through the 2008 housing crisis. And now throughout this COVID crisis, he's been calling for states to reopen and work to resume. It's worth noting that he's making these calls from Miami. While he built much of his business in New York, Barry Sternlicht moved to Florida a few years ago. Here's Joe Kernan.
2: Hey, Barry. So you were early in in terms of saying, you know, this is, a, this is America, you know, it's not going to be the end of the world, things are going to reopen, we're going to have an economy. So we're now two, three months past that. How would you say, how would you uh, summarize what you've seen and, and what you're feeling right now in terms of either being feeling great, feeling bullish, or saying, you know, we've got some work to do still?
4: I feel good about my call in early, early March on your show about a three, uh, three-month uh, World War III, and uh, we had that. That ended in mid-June. Um, and I'm not really surprised about the rise of, of uh, cases right now. And uh, the good news is it's decidedly younger people. And uh, the death rate has continued to drop, actually, on trailing uh, averages. And I think, in a way, the country's sort of getting back to it. The young people decide to go back to their bars, go back to their gyms, go go have their parties. And, um, you know, as you know, the data shows that 99.9% of them are going to be fine. We actually had two people in our office call in. Uh, they're both in their 30s, and uh, they had COVID for about 24 hours, maybe 36. Now, there are exceptions to that. I'm, I'm suggesting that people are at risk stay home and that people should still wear masks. But um, I think we have to get back to it. I mean, we don't really have a choice, and the country wants to get back to work. I've been really impressed with the—I mean, the the spirit of the country is just amazing, and people are optimistic, and we want to get back to our sports teams. We want to get back to doing the things we did before. Um, including going back to the office, by the way. I think people talk about working from home, but it's nice to get a different, going to the office is more than just like, change, it's changing your scenery, it's also, it's a social event. And and, and though you'll be more distanced, uh, perhaps, I, I don't think it'll be, it's the end of office space as we know it, not even close. So, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic, I'm worried. Uh, I'm worried about uh, airlines. You saw the data earlier that you saw that the people don't think the airlines are safe, particularly worried about the hotel industry, Um, In in the destination cities, the gateway cities like New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Boston, and convention cities like New Orleans and Chicago, it's going to be tough. I mean, you know, when are you going to have a convention in these towns? And so we as hotel operators are going to have to learn a whole new operating model, which is a much slimmer staff offering less services um, in order to survive. And one of the fascinating things about the cycle, you know, which I think is really coming into focus for real estate owners of any asset class today is that municipalities are broke and though our hotels were shut by the government, you know, we're still paying full uh, taxes on these hotels as if the hotel was worth what it was the day it was closed. And uh, that can be a lot of money in places like New York. And recently in Tennessee, which is a tax-free state overnight, the legislator, the town, the city, the state, whatever municipality it was voted to increase real estate taxes, 35% on every property. <laughs> and commercial assets. And they did it for one year, but as we know, sometimes tax increases are hard to roll back. So uh, it's tricky. It's a tricky landscape, uh, and we need to get our people back. We need to get our people back to work, and we can't hire all these people. There's 17 million people employed in leisure and hospitality, and I would guess they're less than half back. So you know where the unemployment rate will drop. It's when the airlines will fly, and people will go to the things they did before, and we'll go back to the sports stadiums, and we'll go back into our hotels. And go back on our cruises Uh, so we need confidence and we need leadership from washington to get there i think we really need to instill confidence it's not good that 56 percent of people are uh, think that getting on an airplane is not safe and that's simply not true
2: how about office rents in new york city take take that for example barry so yeah rents could go you think rents could go down 25 percent? expenses are headed up at that point would you Would you be buying New York office space at that? How long before Barry Sternlicht is in buying up office space in New York?
4: New York has has been I was in New York last Monday, Tuesday, and uh, we opened our New York offices last week. Um, New York has incredible spirit and grit. And I think people underestimate the grit of New York. It does have a huge issue, which isn't covid and probably not even related to the George Floyd riots. But you have an issue now of safety and perception of safety. Um, and I think crime will drive people out of New York. And I think the movement recently to defund the police in New York City is scaring the daylights out of people. And it's not the tax rate. The tax rate, people choose to pay that tax rate because of the joy of living in Manhattan, which there's, it's the greatest city on earth. On the other hand, uh, they can move. And between the tax rates and the fear that's gonna, that seems to be pervading in many of my friends, I think New York's got trouble, and if the kids don't want to go back to New York, the tech companies won't continue to grow in New York, and they've been driving the New York office market. And WeWorks has to survive because they're the largest landlord in New York City. So New York, I think, is we will see a pause. You're seeing the same thing in San Francisco. There's a massive increase of sublet space on the market in San Francisco. You haven't yet seen that in New York to that extent, and there is some leasing activity, but it's also very low. It's probably the lowest leasing activity you've seen in 10 years. So maybe longer. So I think uh, I think New York City, I think you have a double whammy. You have an issue on, on rents and you know you're going to be in pressure for, um, you know, uh, for for expenses, that real estate taxes. As I continue to tell my team, you know, it's, buildings don't vote, people do. So they'd rather do anything than increase home, home uh, residential taxes, but they will increase taxes on commercial assets. There are two big events coming the second half of the year. The vaccine, which hopefully will be here by December, and I'm pretty confident we'll have one. And then the election and the, the shift in the election is going to be you know, from COVID to election is, is something we're not yet dealing with. But, you know, Biden's going to increase taxes. He's telling you he's going to increase taxes. And if the Democrats sweep the, the House and the, and the Senate, you have a whole nother landscape for the market to deal with. The hotel sector is really, you know, people are aware of, of retail. I think the hotel sector, we all we we, we and many people got uh, loan forbearance for several months. Uh, that's going to come up in a, in a month or two, and then we're going to have to start paying interest expense again. Will the banks uh, forbear? Uh, they don't really want the assets back because they're going to have to carry them. They're not, they're not break even. They're losing money because you're covering real estate taxes, insurance, workers' comp, health benefits if you're choosing to do so. So I think the banks will be constructive, and I think we will be. The industry, the non-bank lending group will be constructive. But I think, uh, I think you, you're going to see a long chapter, and that's why we need to get people back out. We need to get them on planes. They need to go back. By the way, some of the hotel industry is fine. Like, high-end resorts are fine. Low-end hotels, we have a chain of uh, 24,000 keys running 84% off.
1: Barry, but don't you think that there's an irony in, in, the, in, the, in the goal of reinstilling confidence in our, in our economy Uh, that we might have rushed too much. You're pushing, I know, for everything to to reopen. And and look, we all want everything to reopen, but you want it to reopen so that there's enough confidence that people can actually continue to reopen and continue to get back to business so that we're not having to flush more tax dollars into saving companies that that can't be saved. And so my my question to you is you Uh, think about...
4: Andrew, you misunderstood me. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I'm not saying we should we should go back to sixty thousand people in a stadium. You know, I don't I don't think we need to have bars open. I, I don't think we should have uh, gatherings in stadiums for political purposes. I mean, I think uh, I think we should be smart about it. But I think we should get back to work. We, we we get back to work. We had most of our office in. We we spaced our people out. They wore masks in in the bathroom. We had one or two people in the bathroom at a time. Um, so I think I'm not saying don't don't be stupid about this. I mean, I'm just saying be, I'm sh- I'm here. Let me Nantuck- ask you a question. But right don't now- you think
1: that there's a, a lot the, the the reason I ask you the question, though, is we've had a lot of business people come on the show saying we need to reopen the economy. We need to push. And by the way, not just push on doing it, I would argue responsibly, uh, perhaps the way you're trying to approach it. But bars, people want sports. But, I mean, and there's a push and uh-huh. you hear it over and over again. Let's push, push, push. And and by the way, governors in certain states are doing that. And maybe it's some kind of great experiment, but it's going to come at the cost of people's health. And frankly, long term, it's going to come at the cost of our economy.
4: Well, I don't agree with that, Andrew, at all, because I think you're if we don't get people back to work and the enterprises back to getting revenues and profits, there's going to be extreme distress in the economy and small businesses, hotels will go bankrupt. The airlines will go bankrupt. So I don't agree with your thesis at all in that regard. And incomes will start to fall. And if they start to fall, housing prices will drop, rents will drop, and it'll be a vicious cycle that you won't be able to have enough money in in Washington to get out of. So I think the only way to get this economy going is to get people out. On the other hand, I'm not advocating irresponsible. And I I think, but there's no reason for a store to be closed and Walmart to be open. There's no reason for the lawn and garden local store in your town. I'm not disagreeing with that. I'm just saying that
1: I think that. there's a line at which people have gone over in terms of. Yeah, but Andrew, right. recognize that you want the hotels the, to be.
4: The, yeah. the data is telling you that the youth are not going to die and and they're not even going to wind up in the hospital. So if you look at the data, that's what the data says. And the, the media keeps reporting the cases. They should actually be tracking the deaths and the hospitalizations. There's only one state in the country that's 40 percent of its crisis level. And that's Arizona. That's the only state in the country that's even close to its capacity uh, for, for the ICU units. And we're kind of playing Sweden here. Sweden has less, less deaths per million than UK. And it is a viable strategy because you can see what they did in Sweden. And they actually screwed up in Sweden because they didn't protect the elderly. So in my opinion, I think some some responsible opening is the way to go.
2: Well, we don't get this perspective. Uh, there, not a lot of people will, will say what you just said, but, but we appreciate it. Controversial. <laughs> we appreciate your perspective. Thank you. We'll see you around. Thank you.
6: Squawk Pod. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you
0: You are listening to Squawk Pod. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin.
1: I want to tell you about some news, and it's a very, it's a cool piece of news. It's, a, it's an interesting one, and I hope actually other companies, when they hear the news, will consider this. Netflix announcing this morning it is moving 2% of its cash holdings, initially up to $100 million from major banks, to financial institutions and organizations that directly support black communities. Uh, I wrote about this uh, in DealBook uh, this morning in the company, uh, saying it is uh, in a blog post uh, that uh, this is part of their commitment to racial equality. They're turning uh, their understanding into action and believe that bringing more capital to these communities can make a meaningful difference for the people and businesses in them. Uh, Specifically, though, and this is the the interesting part about it, Netflix planning to hold $35 $35 million of its cash in two vehicles. $25 million will be moved to a newly established fund called the Black Economic Development Initiative, and $10 million in cash will be reallocated to the Hope Credit Union in the form of a transformational deposit now hope credit Union estimates this deposit will support financing for more than twenty five hundred entrepreneurs home buyers and consumers of color over the next two years but you know robert smith came out with this idea that all companies uh... should be part of a sort of corporate reparations by giving two percent of their uh... profits over ten years that that that's philanthropy this is actually a commercial opportunity to effectively move money just cash that's lying around from some of the bigger banks to smaller community banks that serve Black communities, and by default, if you get that money in those hands, uh, they're going to lend it out, and so you really can create new opportunities. It's completely commercial. There's no, um, you get the same interest rate, sometimes even better in certain cases, um, but it's a, it's an interesting commercial opportunity uh, to uh, to put people's mouth uh, money where their mouth is, uh, if you will, given all the conversations we've been having. Uh, across this country uh, about this issue over the past several weeks.
0: That's the podcast for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern and subscribe to Squawk Pod on your favorite podcast app. Tweet us at SquawkCNBC, CNBC, and we'll meet you back here
6: tomorrow.
1: Joe and Becky, I'll see you guys. We'll all see each other tomorrow. See you in July. <laughs> see you in July.